Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski Podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to sign up for my free seven-day productivity challenge. Just give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you simple, easily implementable ideas on how you can become a more productive you. Get on the seven-day productivity challenge by going to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com. Today on the show, Stephen and Mara Klemek, they are co-founders of HeartStyles, and we're going to learn how to live life above the line. What do I mean? Well, we're going to find out on the show, and just as a little technical note, we had some audio issues during the course of the show because they were on the other side of the world, so there'll be some times when you won't be able to understand what they're saying, but stick with the show. A lot of value here. Let's get to it. Stephen and Mara, welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Thank you for having us, and we hope we can add value to your listeners. And Mara, did you want to say hello? <laughs> I wanted to say hello too, but thank you, Mark, for having us on your lovely show. Absolute pleasure. And this is a rarity for the Mark Stuchowski podcast as I've never had more than one guest on at the same time. So this can be a really interesting experience for all. So we're just going to go with it and see what happens. Before we get into the purpose of why you're on the show, going to talk about your book, give us about 20 or 30 seconds about who you guys are and what you do. Wonderful. Well, um, I'll kick off. We're Aussies. Uh, don't hold that against us. Uh, we live in London. We've been working together for 25 years in this space of character development, in you know, personal development, in corporate. Our business went global. As a result of that, we moved to London to um, be able to operate a global business out of London. is a lot easier than Sydney, Australia. And Stephen uh, comes from a, a business background, a corporate background. I come from a clinical background, being a clinical neuropsychologist, which is a bit of a mouthful, um, as well as a clinical psychologist. So both of us have come from different angles, um, but together I think we'll both help people with their, their personal development and their personal growth. Excellent. Well, let's get into a couple questions I have for you. The first one You've probably never been asked this on a podcast or a radio show. I am fascinated by Mount Everest. I, I read books. I've seen documentaries on it. And when I read, Stephen, that you turned around 300 feet from the summit of the Himalayan peak, which is opposite of Mount Everest, I, I want to know a little bit more details. I mean, 300 feet, it's like you can see it. Tell us about, you know, why you, you know, turned around and, you know, how hard was that for you? Well, thank you, Mark. It's a, a very interesting question. First of all, um, part of the marriage contract is the fine print that says <laughs> you will climb mountains with your husband. And um, that particular story and that particular mountain, Mara was on that uh, peak with me as well as I was leading that trip. That wasn't why we turned around. <laughs> <laughs> um it's a very interesting thing, and we've all heard many of the stories of mountaineering tragedies, and a lot of those tragedies are driven by competitiveness and you, you, this desperate need to reach the summit. And in mountaineering, we call it summit fever. 
and it can take over uh, your decision making because you just want to. But on this particular peak, we, you know, it was a year in the planning. Uh, we'd spent days and weeks getting to base camp, a couple of days on the mountain. And um, as we were getting close to that summit, and as you said, 300 feet seems so close, but it's a long way in mountaineering terms. Um, the weather was coming in. There were massive shracks hanging off the side of the mountain, which is, which is a, a curvature of the ice that, you, that if you step on it, the whole ice can break away and uh, that's the end of the, the, the trip. So the weather was coming in, massive shiraks, um, and I spoke to my Sherpa, Shering Sherpa, and said, this is not looking good. And uh, in his lovely way, he said, it's not looking good. <laughs> and, um, you have to make a very tough decision as a leader at times, um, and not just in mountaineering but in business and in parenting and in life. You've sometimes just got to humble yourself and say, this is not a summit day and we're going to have to turn the team around for the safety and the right decision. Mara, what's it like to be on that Himalayan mountain looking over? Could you, could you see Mount Everest when you're on, the, on this mountain? Oh, yes. <laughs> you could touch Mount Everest virtually. Wow. It's it's like being on Empire State Building, you know, looking at one of the other buildings, and um, you, you know you're you're right there, um, and you know you're at the Rockefeller Building, you can see it, and you're on the Empire State, and it looks so close yet so far, and 300 feet in mountaineering terms can be over an hour. Hmm. I think. Um to answer your question, it was by that stage, and I will be quite literal here because by the, the stage that we actually or Stephen made the decision to turn around, we actually couldn't see anything because there was a whiteout that had started on the top of the mountain and was by this stage uh, pretty much on top of us. So <laughs> literally it didn't matter what was around you at that point, Everest or anything else, because it was very obvious that we, um, we had to get, get down and we had to get down quickly to um, stay safe, really, because it was when you have a Sherpa that says we need to go, it's pretty serious. Yes, I have watched some documentaries about the Sherpas, and they are not very wealthy people, but they know the mountains really well. And I just saw a documentary not too long ago, a few days ago, where they were talking about everybody wants to summit. Well, not everybody, obviously, everybody wants to summit Mount Everest. And the Sherpas, the Sherpas do most of the work. They carry the oxygen, the food, and everything else. And, and they, they bear the brunt. So most people just walk up the mountain. They do most of the work. And I don't think people who are not into mountaineering realize that the Sherpas do most of the work. And you just like have to like climb up the mountain. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They they've got servant's heart. The 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 Nepalese Sherpa and, and the porters they do have a servant's heart, and at times they will serve uh, to their detriment. And uh, we've again, there's plenty of stories and evidence to that. So um, when we're on this pit, where it's where I had to assuring Sherpa to him, this is not looking good. Um, he wouldn't make the first decision. Um, and that's the beauty of them. They're beautiful people to be around, but sometimes they serve to their detriment, of course, which we can do in life at times. We have to be authentic to ourselves. And um, that's where I went to Shering Sherpa and said, I think, I think this is not good. And then he says, oh, it's not good. And when he says not good, yeah. it's time to listen to the expert. 
and uh, turn around. Well, let me uh, let's get into the book, uh, Mara. Let me ask you because the book is titled "Living and Leading with Heart Above the Line." So, explain to the listener what do you mean by "above the line" and what does "below the line" mean? Mm, that's a great question, Mark. So, the line refers to—I mean, we would say—a line in our heart where the best of us in our character, which is above the line, is at war with the less best of us, which we will call below the line. And we all have good days and bad days. We have um, certain positive patterns in our lives, in our thinking and our behaviour, and we also have negative patterns that don't actually serve us well. And so the above the line is all about how do we live with authenticity and love and courageous humility so that we continually build our character. And colloquially, we say we're living above the line and depend less on our insecurities, which are really the below the line um, styles of thinking and behaviour, which are out of insecurity, but they're they're coping strategies. Most of us don't realise that coping strategies um, are how we live a lot of the time and the trouble with them is that they don't actually develop our character. The above the line ways of thinking and behaving actually develop our character. The other ones keep us safe, but mm, they don't really do, they don't really help us. They limit us. Stephen, anything you'd like to add to that? Got to get six people going into a, a meeting, for example. And if people are uh, insecure, they're defensive. They're just looking after themselves, self-promote, we call that below the line, self-promote, me, 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 or they're in self-protection mode. Both of those self-protection and self-promoting behaviours are below the line. And if you've got six people in the room who are trying to solve a problem or come up with an idea or a strategy, and those six people are operating out of that behaviour, we all know that that meeting is not going to be effective. It's not going to be a good use of time. People are going to play politics and be approval-seeking or competitive or controlling, and we're not going to get the best out of that meeting. And that's what we observed in all of our research, 18 years of it. But if those people could come into the meeting, not about self, not about me, but we, this is the the above-the-line approach. We still want to drive results. We still want to come up with ideas, and we still want to win. But we're doing this out of a different heart attitude. And that heart attitude is what we talk about in the book about living and leading with heart above the line than living and leading out of fear and and ego below the line. I love it. Now, you write something in your book that I found very interesting. When I first read this sentence, I was a little confused, but then obviously you explained it. What do you mean by we are all an and, (laughs) A-N-D? Yes, and A N D. When you say that in your Aussie accent, no one, no one, no. no so we're all on end. An A N D. Well, Mark, uh, in any one day, we can live below the line and above the line. Something can trigger us to go below the line. You can be driving in the traffic, and someone toots their horn at you, and all of a sudden you're passive and defensive. Yet in that same day. You can be an and, you can be above the line and loving and compassionate 
and, and understanding. And I'm sure you've experienced that. Um, and, and that's what we mean by everyone is an and. Mm. And I, I think it's really, it was born out of a lot of our teaching of helping people have compassion for other people when um, people were defensive. Um, because it's very easy when someone is being, you know, we would say below the line or defensive to you, it's easy to, to really arc up and um, meet that behaviour with your own defensive behaviour. And the and concept actually, I think, helps us understand that we can all be a bit of both. And just because in one situation someone is really defensive and annoying or whatever it is, um, in another situation that same person can be kind and thoughtful, etc. So both of those things can live in the same body, <laughs> in the same human. And I think when we think about people being an and, it's, it's got a lot of grace on it for not only ourselves for being an and, but also for others. Something you wrote in the book that really struck me was the difficulty of many stuck in pride is that the issue behind the issue and can be difficult to recognize within ourselves or others. So talk to us a little bit about pride and the issue behind the issue. Well, Mark, first of all, we, there are two types of pride. There's ego-driven pride which we would call on a mountain summit fever, I just have to get to the top no matter what. The other type of pride is love, when you're proud of yourself or proud of your, uh, other people. So what we're referring to here below the line is the ego-driven pride, the pride that has to control everything and compete in a negative way and be better than other people and be perfectionistic. And it's all about me, me, me with the ego. So that's the type, the type of pride that, that you see. It does get results at times, but it doesn't build culture and it doesn't build a, a personal character, but it certainly doesn't build culture in teams and people and relationships. And this was the, the one of the values that we identified that drives negative behaviour, this below-the-line behaviour, ego-driven pride. And, of course, as we said, a Above-the-line pride is what we call love, and it's great when someone can come and say, I'm very proud of you and I'm proud of my brand and I'm proud of what we've achieved. That's love. That's positive pride. It's just the deception of this ego-driven pride that we wrote about in the book, and that was one of the values. And the other value that we discovered that you know everybody talks about is fear. And uh, fear... So fear of something drives the ego pride. So fear of not making it to the summit, if we continue this mountaineering analogy, fear of people saying, oh, you didn't make it to the summit. You turned around at 300 feet. That's right, because I knew that was the right decision. Where the ego says, oh, no, I can't turn around, people will say I didn't make it. And the ego, um, we, we say ego-driven competitive mountaineers end up dying. And there's plenty of stories to, to justify that statement. So that's what we mean by ego-driven pride. Uh, Mara, question for you is I, I normally don't like formulas. I, I tell people we don't talk about math on the show. But you have a formula that you talk about in the book that I really enjoyed, S plus T equals B. What is that formula? First of all, what do the letters stand for? And what does that formula mean? 
Well, we do joke that it is the answer to everything in life. <laughs> um, <laughs> if only it was that simple. So S plus T equals B is a good old uh, play on psycho uh, Psychology 101, which is the S stands for situation, the T stands for thinking and a couple of other things, and the B stands for behaviour. So situation plus thinking equals behaviour. The interesting thing is that in most situations, in all situations really, we will behave as a result of triggers in that situation and our behaviour will be based on how we think. And the interesting thing about our thinking is that we are reacting to or responding to triggers in current situations which are embedded in what we call templates. And templates are old memories of experiences that have been significant to us and have been filed away in our little filing cabinet. And they get triggered by certain cues in current situations. And as a result of that, our behaviour, we will behave in certain ways. So an example would be if two people are walking, and I've got this in the book actually, two people are walking in the park and a dog suddenly runs out in front of them barking. If person A has old template that is positive about dogs and that is triggered in that moment that that person A sees the dog, they will think, oh, what's going on for that dog? It must be, there must be something wrong with it, so I'm, I need to go and just pat it and make sure it's okay. Person B, if they happen to have from childhood, let's say they were bitten by a dog when they were five or they, they saw someone else being bitten and that, that remained in their, their old memory bank, that template gets triggered and their immediate response would be grab a stick, hide behind the other person, run away from the dog because dogs, when they bark, are dangerous. So the same situation can trigger different templates and therefore different behaviours in different people based on our old history. And there's another T around that that's called truth. So in old experiences with templates, we will create a belief system or a, a truth about, for this example, dogs. So person A has a truth that says all dogs are great because I loved dogs when I was young and had a puppy, therefore they're all good. Person B has a template that says dogs are terrible and they're dangerous, I need to keep away from them. Both of those people have their own truths about dogs, but are each of those truths the whole truth? No, because not all dogs are happy and fluffy and, you know, if they bark they're happy. They could be actually quite... <laughs> dangerous <laughs> so person a and person b have created a truth that is their truth but it's not necessarily the truth about the situations and dogs you know it's interesting as you're talking about dogs i don't know if you heard it my dog saw someone out front and started barking and i was going to edit that out and like you know that was kind of perfect she's talking about dogs <laughs> and the dog's barking as if the dog wanted to be uh, gracie wanted to be on the podcast so thank you for that uh impromptu appearance uh, to gracie so thank you for explaining the s plus t equals b the um see if i can remember, situation plus the thinking equals behavior i got that right correct that's right yes just to help your um 
Uh, to help help your listeners, there there are you know, behaviours that we have that are triggered from our past, and all you need is a situation. So, if someone had a, a bad uh, experience um, in a previous job, you know, every time the boss said, can, "Can you come into my office?" and that was going to be you know a really negative experience. You imagine that person working in another environment, in another company, even a company that's got a great culture, but the, but the boss or their, you know, their senior person says to them, can you come into my office? Now, immediately, they've got triggers and templates there and they their behaviour would become fearful. Am I going to get a ribbing? Am I going to get, is this going to be a negative experience? Now, of course, we don't, until we start to think about what we think about, we don't recognise where the behaviour is coming from. And that's where th- this S plus T equals B markers helped so many people. Thousands and thousands of people have gone, oh, I now recognise what triggers and templates and truth I've got in my mind from the past experience that I'm living out in my current environment. Does that make sense? It does. And thank you for elaborating on that for us. You write in the book, when we understand why others might do what they do, we are given incredible insight and a real chance to not only build our relationships in powerful ways, but also influence their lives. Can you uh, expand uh, expand about that for us? Sure. But, uh, this, this thing of wanting to you know, influence others, this whole experience of being able to be authentic to myself and grow myself, which is one of the quadrants that we talk about above the line, personal growth. But really, ultimately, the best place is when we're growing others. And the whole essence of heart stars and living and leading with heart is we've developed ourselves out of that fear and pride We've grown our authentic self. We know our strengths and development opportunities and we know our goals and what we're going for. But then it becomes selfless. It becomes more that I'm going to do this and at the same time I'm going to grow others, which is our other quadrant that we talk about, call it the love quadrant, because I'm going to love in the English they have you know four words for the word that's where you know we can love our sport and love our our team and we can love our children and love our brand all very differently and that's why we said ultimately if we're making a difference to others that is the most satisfying thing to the heart and that's what living and leading with heart is really all about mark mara do you have anything to add to that Oh, I think I think Stephen's described that really well. I, I, it is, you know, it's really not about us, life. And I think when we can spend so much of our our time um, in our heads, you know, expecting things or wanting things um, to go our way, and ultimately, when we develop ourselves and really face ourselves to develop our character, which is not an easy thing been going through that myself this week it's very annoying but you know it's a life life journey isn't it um when we can really face ourselves and and 
see that development in, in ourselves and become our authentic, the, the core of who we really are and to be able to then step into our, our potential and live that, it then becomes about how do I bring that same joy of the freedom that I have, have received um, to other people. And so having compassion and love um, and care for others as well as yourself but you can't really love others until you learn to really love yourself. So living and leading above the line with heart, um, having a life full of heart is, is really about giving to others. Final question I want you guys to discuss, or not the question, but the topic is inner vows. I, I was really interested when I read about the inner vows. So explain to the listener, what do you mean by inner vows and what what does it how does it affect us in terms of above the line and below the line? That's a great mm. question, Mark. Gosh, thank you. <laughs> um, I hope the listeners thank you for that. <laughs> Certainly for the question. Let's hope they thank us for for the for the answer. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, the interval. Well, example would be: I go into a relationship with all the best intentions and. I get hurt by that relationship, which happens to, to a lot of us in life throughout, throughout people's lives. And whether that's a, a romantic relationship or a friendship or um, even a work relationship, if I feel hurt, I can make an inner, what we call an inner vow. That is, I will never let that happen to me again. And I promise myself, it's a you know, promise I suppose you could say, that the next time I'm in a relationship I am going to, you know, keep my heart strong, I am not going to um, let someone in, I'm not going to be as vulnerable. And that inner vow actually sets like concrete. And what can happen is that it becomes a template so that we go back to our S plus T equals B again and in my future, I then go into different situations still with this inner vow and this old template so that the next time I might have another relationship, I will go into it defensively rather than really giving of myself or being vulnerable or, um, you know, I suppose blessing the other person with, with the real me. I'll put a barrier around me. And as a result of that, I can... Um, impede the quality of that relationship so the you know an inner vow could also be if we go back to that dog story as simple as that um if i you know had been bitten by a dog or i saw a friend of mine or someone bitten by a dog and it scared me and i can make an inner vow that says don't go anywhere near dogs and i can drag that inner vow <clears throat> excuse me i can drag that inner vow throughout my entire life it might have started when I was five, but, you know, at 55 or 35, I could still have that, that inner vow. And it's not a logical thing, <laughs> generally, inner vows, are they? <laughs> but they're a very heart thing and they can remain in our life in a negative way, even though we think that they're protecting us. Um, they actually put, they imprison us. They put us into uh, behind a wall, really. Stephen, did you have anything you wanted to add, uh, add for inner vows? I'll never speak up at a meeting again because I was chopped down. Or, 
Um, and, and often those inner vows come from hurtful, painful and or embarrassing experiences. Mm, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, had, uh, I can tell you many, many a story that I had to overcome many of an inner vow from my childhood and when you book to, to find that I've had to overcome a lot of um, inner vows and, and change the attitude and change the mindset. There's also positive vows. One of my positive inner vows is I will not deal with conflict on email. <laughs> and you can say from embarrassing experiences on wrong and trying to deal with conflict on email is just not a good thing. So I've also made myself a couple of positive inner vows around health and fitness and around, um, as I said, email. So there are negative inner vows that hold people back and sometimes there are positive inner vows we can make that develop our character and, and make us live and lead above the line. Well, this has been a tremendous time with the both of you. Tell our listeners where we can find out more about you and where we can find your book. Well, thank you. Our uh, website is heartstyles.com. And Heart Styles is our brand. We believe the style of the way we do life comes from the heart. So heartstyles.com. Um, of course, the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And, uh, yeah, I suppose you know, bookstores across the U.S., particularly Barnes and & Noble, and also on amazon.com. And people can follow us um, on Instagram uh, and LinkedIn and also Facebook and it's Stephen and Mara Klemick is where oh. you can find us. Okay. Well, you guys have been uh, tremendous for being on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing all the wisdom with us today. Uh, I think you guys are rock stars. <laughs> thank you, Mark. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Thank you. And thank you for all the great work that you do in helping mm. us all become more effective people. <laughs> And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com, M-I-S-T-E-R, mrproductivity.com, and sign up for the free seven-day productivity challenge. All you have to do is give me two minutes a day for a week, and I will teach you strategies and how you can be more productive. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and then tell two or three of your friends who you think would find value in the episode today or overall the Mark Stuchowski podcast. Thank you again for listening. I love you so much. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.